You're listening to Future X, brought to you by Future Design School. Do you own a pet? Have you ever owned a pet? Do you plan on owning a pet in the future? Well, this episode is for everyone and their dog, cat, bird, fish, lizard, or whatever your pet of preference may be. And if you don't own a pet or plan on owning a pet, this episode is actually for you too. Today's guest, Dr. Adam Little, takes us on a journey into the future of pet care and how the work that he and other veterinarians do not only impacts our pets, but might be the key to helping solve other global challenges. Ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce to you our future. Our future. Our future. Our future. <laughs> Yes. It's really fascinating. I'm optimistic. I'm like, oh my god. That's a very, very real possibility. That's my vision for the future. So my name is uh, Dr. Adam Little. I'm a veterinarian based out of Vancouver, British Columbia. And I have a company called Future Pet, where I'm the co-founder. And we're building a new subscription uh, veterinary care model. I also serve as an adjunct professor of practice with Texas A&M University. Uh, their College of, of Veterinary Medicine. What you're about to hear is the conversation I had with Dr. Adam Little. Depending on uh, the lens that you take when you read my bio, either I uh, can't stay focused on one thing at a time or I've accomplished a lot. So the, the latter is often more flattering. But um, when I was in veterinary school, I think one of the things that is worth noting out uh, is that I uh, always intended uh, to be a traditional veterinarian. Uh, I wanted to be an oncologist or a neurologist uh, when I first started vet school. Um, but along the way, I kind of had two main opportunities that put my career on a slightly different path. The first was I spent some time with an organization called Veterinarians Without Borders, where I spent three months in, in Tanzania during um, the summer between my first and second year of veterinary school. And there I had a real appreciation for the broader ways in which veterinarians um, and animal health impact the world and society. And it was uh, really eye-opening for me and, and a really incredible experience that um, helped me look at the profession in a slightly different light. The second uh, is, and, and related to that, was when, when I was in Tanzania, I was doing lots of research on the profession and the, the trends that we were seeing in, in animal health. And this was around the time that the veterinary profession, like many industries, was kind of recovering from the recession. And so they were looking at how people's attitudes towards veterinary care, how they were seeking out information, what their pain points were. And from there, there was a number of reports that came out. But one one thing in particular that really struck me is that it began to seem like the systems of care that people were practicing in were really shifting almost under their feet. So there was a new generation of pet owners with different expectations. The internet was becoming a lot more uh, commonplace in terms of its uh, relationship to the veterinary clinic and how it was influencing, you know, people's biases and information and, and instilling some preconceived notions about what veterinary care was going to be like. And it sort of seemed like the model of care that we had developed where, you know, you have these brick and mortar practices that have been run in these local communities that are oftentimes are small mom and pop shops. It kind of seemed like that model wasn't necessarily compatible with this new generation of, of clients and their expectations. And so from my perspective, if my goal was to impact as many animals as possible, it was to 
create a model of care that enabled my colleagues to be as productive uh, and in turn empowered to help their clients and patients. And so while other people were focusing kind of on, on individual patients and, and, their, and their health needs, I was more focusing kind of on the health of the profession and the systems of care that people were going to be practicing in. And that really took me on a, a path that ultimately had me focusing a lot on the role that technology would play in that. But that was kind of the starting point. So I kind of came back from Tanzania, had a bunch of side projects that I was working on throughout vet school. And ultimately that kind of became the foundation for my, for my career. So the scope of that task to really look at the, really the model of care and want to change and impact that, does that overwhelm you? I, I find it kind of liberating and exciting. I think one of the things that uh, is really unique and frankly, very special about veterinary medicine is that, you know, you have this, take a step back, right? Veterinarians are often balancing the needs of patients, which are very kind of medical needs, um, similar to, to human doctors, but they also have the constraints of having to operate within you know, a business and a lot of times they are the ones owning and running. So all the uh, challenges uh, associated with that, but also coupled with the kind of client management side of things, right? So our patients can't talk, they can't communicate how they're feeling. And so there's kind of an extra voice in the room, that being the client, that's really integral to the entire process. And I think that's a really interesting sort of position for veterinarians to be in where they have to balance those competing forces. And from my perspective, it's really, it's really exciting that veterinarians can contribute in so many different ways. Uh, and so the opportunity for veterinarians to kind of contribute to and help lead the creation of some of these new care models, I think is, is really fascinating. And one of the, the things that I'm a big proponent in is that you don't want to be a passenger in this future. I'd rather be one that helps to create it. And as opposed to letting those disruptive forces come from the outside, is there a way to enable and empower today's stakeholders to play an active role in developing that future? And I think veterinarians are well positioned to do that for our profession. And so I find it really exciting. And I think we're seeing now that more veterinarians are sort of recognizing how big of an opportunity there is, as opposed to focusing maybe on just the things that are broken. Um, so that's something that's definitely worth pursuing in my mind. The, the model right now, and there's a little bit of a shift with veterinarians right now, seeing the possibilities, really, how would you define the current state of animal care in, or veterinary medicine? And really, where, where is it going and is it going there fast enough? Yeah, I think it's a really important question. And I think a lot of the changes that we're seeing are being driven by the needs of clients and their expectations um, and how that sort of translates to the care that their pets receive. So to put some things in perspective, you know, we're seeing more pet owners than ever before. Um, when you look at millennials in particular, which are both the fastest growing segment of pet owners and now also the largest, their expectations around their pet um, and the role that pets play in their lives are um, different than generations before. So we kind of joke sometimes that, you know, pets have moved from outside in the doghouse to, you know, kicking your spouse or loved one off the bed. <laughs> and in a lot of cases, you know, that deepening relationship is also reflected in how much money they're spending on their pets, um, the services that they're seeking out. And, and veterinary care for a lot of people is one of these industries that hasn't really changed a whole lot, perhaps in the last 30 or 40 years. So for most people, they're still going to, brick and mortar locations, um, you know, small, small hospitals uh, where 
you know, most of the care is provided in a fairly, you know, reactive manner. So, and the people that run those hospitals in some cases have been there for, you know, years, if not decades. And that model of care, I think, has worked for a very long time and sort of speaks to the trust that people have had in veterinarians um, and the profession throughout some of these other technological changes. But I think we're reaching a point where that experience, even if you really like the vet that provides that care, is ultimately not always compatible with the way that people see themselves being served in, in other industries, right? So, you know, we're seeing that people are doing more research on their pets and, and veterinarians prior to going in. Um, so there was a, a big study that sort of looked at the behaviors of this new generation of pet owners. And, and the fact is people just want to be empowered with information. It's not that they're looking to avoid going in, but they want to know, hey, if I'm going to bring my pet to the, the clinic, that what's going to happen? What are the likely diagnoses? What are some treatment recommendations? What are, how much will it cost? How urgent is it? Like, I think very natural question. And unfortunately, if, if you're just waiting at your clinic for people to come in, give them those answers, I think we're missing an opportunity to proactively engage in people's health. Um, so that's kind of one, that's one piece of it. This, and this idea that clients are getting access to more information from a whole bunch of different sources. So not just Google searches, but now, you know, Siri and Amazon Alexa and these, these other types of assistants that can provide kind of immediate answers to questions that in some ways is very, I think, threatening to a profession that has historically prided itself on being that central point of authority in the, in the pet owner's relationship with their pet's health. So we're going to have to adapt to a world where owners are coming in with more information, where they have a different set of expectations about their, their pets. And, and, for, and for many people, that's not just a, a once a year, 15 minute visit. They, they're looking for more of a lifelong commitment and advocate for their pet's health. So that's kind of one big shift that I think in some ways veterinarians have really grabbed onto and, and, and seen in a positive light because it, it really speaks to the care that people want to provide for their pets. But for some veterinarians, that could be a little bit threatening if you're feeling that your ability to practice the medicine that you want is being influenced or altered by, you know, people's preconceived notions. Um, and, and some of that information just isn't always going to be, you know, helpful or accurate. And so sometimes it's not just about providing new information, but unwinding those the research and maybe some of the, the incorrect assumptions that people have made about their pet's health. So all to say, if you kind of look at this, you know, care and the relationship that people have is increasingly being pushed outside of the clinic, but in turn, that's really influencing what happens inside the clinic. And many veterinarians are sort of have blind spots to that. And the model of care that we have today doesn't necessarily support that always on 24 seven instant access relationship that I think people are gonna increasingly gravitate to. Well, I think that's very fascinating when you talk about the access to information and the technology really in our lives right now, and you bring up uh, the form of AI that people know in the technology sense, not in the veterinary sense of AI, but the technology sense of artificial intelligence playing a role in that. And from what I understand, you were one of the early pioneers leveraging IBM Watson. And can you tell us a little bit about that experience? But for our listeners, of course, tell us really what IBM Watson is. Yeah, for, for sure. So we had um, the opportunity to be one of the early IBM Watson's partner partners. So IBM Watson is actually now a, kind of a collection of technologies that helps people utilize um, machine learning and, and, and AI to develop new products and services. And it's really interesting because for a very long time, if you wanted to use a lot of these tools, you need to have 
specialized domain expertise. You needed to have big teams and lots of capital. But similar to the way that you can create a website now or, or, or uh, create a PowerPoint presentation or use APIs like Google Maps, a lot of these tools are now almost freely available or definitely there's very low barriers to getting started with them. And they can be integrated within your, your tools in single lines of code. And so it means that we have the ability to use these capabilities in kind of every application that we build. And I think a lot of the world's biggest companies today aren't just kind of one technology, but actually a combination of a whole bunch of tools that they've incorporated, some of which are available to anybody to create a unique experience that drives value for their customers. And so from our perspective, IBM Watson was um, in the early stages of making some of these tools available to their partners. And you know, since then, they, they've grown quite a bit in terms of the types of tools that they have in that platform. But everything from like image recognition to uh, natural language processing tools where you can help the computer can understand a sentence and break it down into its components for analysis. Um, there's a lots of really interesting things that the IBM Watson platform had available to us. And so our specific use case was this, and it kind of gets back to one of the points I made earlier. If veterinarians are going to live and practice in a world of increasing information, how do we enable every veterinarian on earth to practice with the confidence and the information that the world's best veterinary specialists would have? Like what would happen if your vet that you went to see down the road um, was able to empower those appointments and, and really incorporate um, the world's best information at their fingertips. And that's what we sought out to do. And so we had a project where we worked with veterinary content providers, you know, textbook publishers, journal articles, uh, conference symposium. And we were trying to build a decision support tool geared at companion animal vets to help them make smarter and quicker decisions in practice. And given the fact that most veterinary clinics have you know between two and three doctors, these are small teams that often lack the support of a larger hospital setting. And so we thought that if we could make these, this tool and platform available to these vets, we would help uh, make care more efficient, but also increase the quality of care that people were receiving and, and ensure that um, each vet could be empowered with that information and support. So that was kind of the, the goal of, of working with IBM Watson um, when we started a few years ago. So when you, when you did that a few years ago, have you had a chance to implement that and get some feedback? What, what were the results? Yeah, so it, it's interesting. We started off with a very, the short answer is yes. The, the, the longer story is that, you know, when we started, I think like a lot of people, I think we overestimated at the time some of the capabilities of this art, uh, of the tools that were available. I think oftentimes too, people look at artificial intelligence as sort of like magical fairy dust that you can kind of spread over any problem and it just instantly solves it. It's a tool, like any tool, right? If if you need a if you have a nail, you want to find a hammer and the hammer is the right tool for that job, but if you have a screwdriver, it's not going to work very well. And so I think for us initially two things became very clear. The first was that how veterinarians wanted to be supported was a really important learning as we thought about this problem. Because oftentimes, like any medical professional, it's not a very specific question that they have. Instead, what they want is to give you all the information they have on a case or a patient and really get down to two main questions. 
is there anything else that I should be doing or that I'm missing here? And what should I do next? And you can't necessarily easily just plug in the question to these AI systems. What, sh what should I do next? That's, it needs context for all this other information that's been gathered on those patients. And it's a much more complex query. So I think initially when we were working with these tools, the capabilities of Watson were, were pointing us down a, f a fairly specific kind of question and answer sort of relationship, as opposed to the type of support that veterinarians I think do want, which is I'm going to give you lots of information and there isn't necessarily a, a specific nuanced question. It's more of this general support about looking forward in the case notes and looking or looking back in the case notes and looking forward to what I should do next. And that designing a system to do that is, is quite challenging. And I, I think when you look at some of the progress of IBM Watson for the human health partners, they've run into sort of similar challenges. Um, so what, what the product ended up becoming was more of a quick reference tool, which um, when I ended up leaving that company, they've continued to pursue and, and have launched into the market. But, you know, slightly different, a slightly different solution relative to, I think, the bigger problem that we were trying to solve. And, you know, it wasn't for lack of, of, of trying. And I think this is maybe just a stepping stone towards that ultimate vision. So I think we will, and we are beginning to get to this, the, the point in time when these systems can work more collaboratively with medical professionals. But at the time that we were building with Watson, we just didn't quite have that combination perfect yet. So it's, it's a really, it was a really interesting example, learning opportunity for me of both the potential, but also some of the I think challenges in working with some of these new tools, because oftentimes there's a lot of work that's required that I think people don't always recognize. Um, and the tools themselves are only as good as the people kind of swinging the hammer and, and what you're actually in the problem that you're actually solving. So it really helped shape a lot of my career moving forward that that experience. Well, that's that's really fascinating to think about really an artificial intelligence, really kind of analyzing those records and those notes to kind of help help look at the, the next steps. Uh, can you think of any other emerging technologies right now within animal health and veterinary medicine that are really kind of helping to shape the future besides artificial intelligence? Sure. Um, so I think the way that I sort of think about it is there's, there's kind of three big categories of things that are happening. The first is that you have, as I sort of alluded to earlier, these connected clients and these connected patients. And one of the things that we're beginning to see is that the evolution of internet connected devices is beginning to make its way into animal health. And so, as I mentioned before, your, your pets can't talk, but there's certainly devices that are trying to, to help them try to. Um, and so similar to like the Fitbit technologies and, and Apple Watch and those sorts of things that are generating health data, there's now over a dozen companies that are doing everything from uh, connected pet collars that can measure vital signs to connected pet beds to measure your pet's resting behavior and weight. Uh, to connected pet feeders that are able to provide information on your pet's nutritional habits. And over the last five years, we've seen that the capabilities of these devices continue to increase. The cost of these devices is decreasing, and there's more diversity in terms of the types of solutions that are out there. So I don't think we've quite reached the point yet where it's reached a price point and form factor that the majority of pet owners would get. But I do see a future where Similar today, when you go to buy a phone, you can't literally find a phone without a camera because it's just been incorporated as kind of a standard piece of technology into every phone because of the performance improvements and, and the, the costy, the decreasing costs. I, I do think that miniaturization, decreasing costs, and the increasing capabilities will create a world in which when you go to buy these things for your pets, 
these capabilities are just integrated. Um, you can't find collars or water bowls or food dishes that just don't generate information. And so that that's kind of one area that's really interesting. As part of that, so if you consider that network kind of being a broad, a broad network of devices, we're also seeing technologies going very deep and helping us understand at a deeper level our patients. And I think that's the evolution of some of the genetic testing that's happening. Um, there's already several companies out there that allow you to take a saliva sample or a hair sample and begin to provide pet owners directly with information about their pets, testing for over 100 genetic conditions. And so we're kind of in the early stages of, I think, the shift of activities that used to be solely within the domain of veterinary medicine and, and clinics, sort of shifting to the home and empowering pet owners with information, uh, again, prior to that visit that I think a lot of people would look at and say, that's, that's pretty medical oriented data. Um, so I think that's gonna change, it's gonna force veterinarians to evolve to meet pet owners where they're getting that information. Um, so that's kind of one category on the connected client side that is worth noting. The second is that, you know, as we talked about AI and that augmented practitioner sort of mindset where veterinarians are going to work collaboratively with machines to help them do a better job. It's not just AI, you know, writing records, but there's companies now that are using this for image analysis to help with things like radiographs or pathology reports and helping to support clinicians that are that are making those diagnoses. So that's something that's increasing quite rapidly. And then the, the rise of mobile is, is also leading to some new service delivery models. And so things like telehealth and on-demand veterinary services have been on the rise now for several years. Um, looking at new you know, veterinary service delivery opportunities outside of the clinic that can be you know, more affordable or more efficient for pet owners. That kind of just blows my mind to think about really all of those technologies that are existing and then how they really apply to pets and how that changes the whole experience really for the veterinarian. And it makes me wonder really how tolerant is the veterinary community right now to those technological shifts? It's interesting. Like, I think it's important to appreciate that it's not so much tolerance in my mind, but I think some of the anxiety that comes from it. Um, I think most veterinarians, if you were to survey a hundred of them would say they want to do what's best for their patients. That's kind of why they got into this. They want to provide the best care possible. And so from my perspective, I think a lot of these technologies ultimately lead to that goal. I think where things break down are in a couple places. The first is veterinarians are incredibly overwhelmed already today and it seems like the world's moving faster and faster and that they kind of lack maybe the control over it that they used to have uh, veterinary put some things in perspective veterinarians have incredibly high rates of burnout um, so there's a it's a really stressful job that you can imagine gets compounded um, when you think about all these new tools coming into your practice the second is that veterinarians um, have huge levels of, of financial debt and the cost of veterinary education continues to rise. And so you have this population of people that for the most part have wanted to be a veterinarian since they were five years old. By the time they get into vet school and by the time that they graduate, the world is radically different than the one that they anticipated and expected when they were five years old and made that decision to go to school in the first place. It creates a lot of stress. There's a lot of financial debt and it isn't exactly clear how their career is going to progress. And I think a lot of these technologies are framed as threats as opposed to opportunities. 
So I think that leads sometimes to, to veterinarians kind of wanting to bury their heads in the sand and say, you know, this is just too overwhelming. All I want to do is sort of practice and not have to worry about this other stuff. But on the flip side, I think there's veterinarians that are really recognizing that, hey, you know, if this is a way for me to practice in a more flexible environment, that these are tools that help me get compensated perhaps for providing, you know, digital services as opposed to just in-person services and what maybe allows me to work in environments where I have a bit more autonomy. I think these are all really positive things. And so I think there, there will be ultimately some winners and losers as these technologies become more commonplace, but I don't necessarily see them being individual veterinarians because I do think that veterinarians like as people and as professionals are really important to the evolution of animal health. I think what's likely to happen though is there'll be some business models and some organizations that have made a lot of money and been very successful with supporting or owning the traditional care models that might not make the jump to the to the new way of working but ultimately i think that individual veterinarians will be able to ride this wave where as people care more about their pets and they're spending more money and they want to be closer to them and understand them more i think veterinary medicine plays a really important role in that and i think there might be some you know angst through that transition but i also think it's not a it's not like veterinarians wake up one day and their jobs have been disrupted by robots necessarily. Like I think veterinary medicine is very nuanced and complex and there's lots of opportunities for the profession to grow. So one of the things that you said that really resonates with me is you have that five-year-old right now that says, I'm going to be a veterinarian. But what that means now and what that means when they actually have the opportunity to be a veterinarian is very different. So really, if you have somebody right now that wants to be a veterinarian, what advice do you give them? What skills you think that they need to go into an incredibly shifting industry? Yeah. So I think that this is something that our entire world is grappling with. I think veterinary medicine might just be special because it's one of the jobs that people that decide at a very young age they, they want to do. But I do think that this is this sense of it, like being able to adapt is, is really important. What I, I think what I would tell, and this is what I tell even veterinary students who are, you know, feeling a similar way you're going to have the opportunity to practice veterinary medicine in this incredibly exciting time where you're going to be able to do more for patients than ever than you ever thought possible where a lot of these big problems these really difficult challenging medical cases we're actually going to find i, I really do believe this like cures to them um we're going to be able to support many more pets there's still you know somewhere between 25 and 40 percent of pet owners in in the u.s that don't receive almost any veterinary care for their pets. And so don't you want to live in a world where more pets can get access to care and you can even do more with the pets uh, that you are treating and, and your patients more broadly, you know, fields like oncology and neurology, things that, you know, 30 years ago didn't really even exist in a meaningful way in, in veterinary medicine. And you know, we're developing and being able to port over some of the technologies and learning some human medicine to advance the health of, of animals. And so, I think that there's a lot of excitement around that. I think where people get stuck is that they have a very specific definition of what that looks like, right? And so if you're a five or 10 or 15 or 20 year old, and you're like, look, this is the practice that I wanna practice in. It has to look like this, it has to feel like this, this is how it has to operate. I think you really box yourself in. And more importantly, you, you might you might have a blind spot to the future opportunities that exist. And so I think it's kind of getting back to why people wanted to be vets in the first place. And it's this idea that, you know, you're gonna have increasingly large volumes of information on these patients, data points we never had possible and new tools to analyze that. 
I think that's a really positive thing. You're going to be able to work collaboratively with other colleagues and computers to be able to make smarter, better decisions where you don't feel as isolated or alone. I think that's a really positive thing. There's going to be new service delivery models that allow you to practice not just in your hometown in person, but perhaps increasingly all over the world, right? And shared veterinary support and expertise, not just in a Canadian context or North American context, but in, in an international context. And when I look at some of the world's biggest problems, climate change, uh, the spread of disease, food security and food safety, from my perspective, veterinarians all play really meaningful roles in helping to develop the solutions to those problems. So what I tell a five-year-old is if you want to change the world, become a vet because you have infinite possibilities in front of you to make an incredibly big impact. And it's one that the world's going to need for a very long time. Wow. That's, uh, that's really great advice. And like you said, it applies towards a lot of industries that are shifting that direction. It's really something interesting to think about. But, you know, so you think about really informal education too. How are veterinary schools adapting and changing? Are they shifting and, and keeping up or is there opportunity there? I've been really encouraged actually by the response of a lot of veterinary institutions to tell you a little bit of an anecdote about my life. And in, in I think the spring of 2015, I was invited to speak to all the vet school deans about kind of the future of veterinary medicine, where things were going. And you can imagine as we started talking about things like artificial intelligence and, you know, everything from lab-grown meat and new, and new ways to deliver protein uh, to, to the world all the way to, you know, artificial intelligence systems helping to diagnose uh, and read radiographs. There is a degree of skepticism. And I think one of the things that's difficult is that veterinary institutions and, and academic institutions in particular, where there's a kind of a professional component um, and an accreditation aspect, tend to move very slow. And that's very deliberate. Um, because they have a lot of other things boxing them in so that they can't move as quickly as they would like to. So I think one of the things that's been really interesting is veterinary schools recognizing the limitations of what they can do and forming new partnerships around these topics and fostering opportunities for their students that don't require you know, years-long curriculum review. And so maybe to highlight a, a few specific examples, one of the programs that we started was the Veterinary Entrepreneurship Academy. And that began at Texas A&M, largely because of the support of the dean there, Dean Eleanor Green. And what that was, was a summer-long internship for veterinary students where we would pair them with startup companies and support their internship with a, an educational backbone and series of guest lectures. And so... We had, by the end of uh, the second year, we ended up having over 10 projects and close to you know, seven or eight schools that participated and sent students to this program. And the students worked in companies ranging from you know, diagnostic AI company in, in Tel Aviv all the way to like an on-demand vet startup in San Francisco. And so it was a really good example of the, the schools committing resources and frankly, attention to these issues, but recognizing that, hey, you know, putting a course in about entrepreneurship into an already loaded curriculum is really difficult. Um, and so I think that's one of the most challenging parts when you look at some of this educational reform that needs to take place across many different areas is that for us to be able to put some of this stuff in, something has to come out because these students are already so overwhelmed. And oftentimes, I think people like myself would say, you know, entrepreneurship or Thinking about the impact of technology isn't just like 
vertical specific. It's it's really more of a skill set, a mindset you need to develop that really touches on all aspects of education. And so those cross those cross disciplinary skill sets, you know, how do you actually fit them into a curriculum? And in a curriculum like veterinary medicine that you have to learn medicine and you're tested on, your accreditation and certification is based on your ability to diagnose everything from a horse with with lameness to reptiles to companion animal medicine to you know questions about public policy so there's a huge huge amount of information that veterinarians need to learn in a very short period of time and so i think that there's some creative ways in which schools are embracing and recognizing the need to to talk to and teach about the future and what that means for um, the profession, what that means for organizations within it, and what it means for individual practitioners. But I think it's worth recognizing the challenges in doing that in a traditional curriculum setting. And so I think that you're seeing kind of new innovative models of teaching come out of the need to supply students with that experience. And I've been really encouraged by the response there. It's not for a lack of, I think, understanding the urgency and importance of these subjects but we're talking about some pretty big shifts that need to happen. So as the future unfolds, that future 5, 10, 15, 20 years, whatever it might be, what do you believe the new role of the veterinarian will be? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting question. This is one, um, there's a kind of speaking to the, the ways in which traditional organizations are thinking about this. Um, the American Veterinary Medical Association and the American uh, Association of Veterinary Medical Colleges, so two really big bodies, recently created the Vet Futures Commission. And there's a, a close to 10 of us that have been appointed as uh, members of that group. And, and that's kind of our charge to look at the next 50 years of veterinary medicine and sort of think about what are the roles of our profession and what are the areas that are likely to be created or changed significantly or maybe eliminated altogether. I, I think that there's a couple of Kind of areas that veterinarians will move into. So this one of being like a care facilitator and a, almost like a coach, I think is really interesting. Like somebody who's able to take all these disparate data sources and being there on a day-to-day -day basis to provide people with support for their, for their pet's health and their pet's care, I think is really interesting. And you're going to need people with that translation role, not necessarily because your phone might not be able to just tell you, hey, this is the medication that your pet needs when and where, but I think that there's a human touch there um, and understanding and a degree of empathy that, that veterinarians exhibit that will be really helpful where even if pet owners know the answer, they're still going to want to talk to somebody that they trust or an organization that they trust. So that, that idea of being a facilitator of, of care and a translate, translator of knowledge and data, I think is going to be really important. I think one of the other big areas is going to be kind of informatics um, and the ability to look from like a more of a research angle. We have all this data on these patients that we've never had access to it, to how can we use technology and veterinarians to help translate that to meaningful outcomes, whether that's pursuing new research uh, agendas and questions or helping to look at, you know, data trends that could help inform, you know, care protocols, um, could help people understand if they have a diabetic dog that's three years old and it's a golden retriever. These are the personalized care plans that your pet should be on. So really digging through the data that we're going to have and helping understand that and make that actionable for both owners, for companies, as well as for clinics and, and clinicians. So that's another area that I think is really interesting. The third is I, I do think there will be 
a wave of some of these just new models of, of veterinary care. So we're already seeing this right now, like new clinic models where veterinarians aren't necessarily having to you know, negotiate 10 year leases on, on buildings and absorb all the risk of starting a practice themselves. There's hybrid models and new ownership structures that are coming into play that I think are going to be really interesting. This idea of kind of a, a one man or one person or, or one woman business is going to be kind of interesting where you can have uh, veterinarians that are more entrepreneurial as a result of having access to you know, services and tools that used to be um, confined to bigger hospitals. So I think that's really quite fascinating. And then I do think on like kind of the food security and food safety side, there's lots of interesting opportunities looking at how we better you know, manage the spread of disease and predict the spread of disease to how we ensure that you know, the supply chain when it comes to food products is something that is transparent and some new models around there, all the way to you know, substitutes for traditional meat and livestock production, which continue to expand quite rapidly. I would like to think that veterinarians can play a role in that. And, and I think those are some interesting areas that are very different than what a traditional veterinarian has done. In some cases, these are careers that have yet to be created. And I would argue we probably don't even have a name for them yet. And, and I think it's going to be kind of fun to, to play a role in creating that. It seems like really exciting, not even knowing what those jobs might be as a result of all of that data, that information that leads to new opportunities in other industries. And so that also brings up with all of that data. What do you think you can learn from that data and how that would impact human health issues as well? Is there an opportunity there? For sure. Um, there's actually you know, a company that a colleague of mine founded called The One Health Company that actually kind of looks specifically at that using... So maybe taking a step back, about 50... My stats have me correct me. About 50% uh, of diseases are zoonotic in nature. It can be transferred between species and 75% of emerging diseases are, are zoonotic. And so there's a really close relationship between human and animal health and understanding the spread of that those diseases is, is really critical and i think that there's a, definitely certainly a role there i think the other thing that's really interesting is that this idea of like crowdsource research i think is something that's really fascinating and when you look at pets in particular in a lot of ways they're in a really interesting model for human disease their lifespans are significantly shorter the disease progression is significantly accelerated. We share a lot of similar diseases and things like in areas of like oncology and, and cancer, you know, mammary tumors, lymphoma, these are all conditions that pets get. And understanding those conditions helps go back and forth with human medicine about treatments that are effective, the ability to inform how we look at identifying a new, tumor, new tumors and diseases, the ability to in part utilize maybe combinations of drugs that have gone all the way to the final phase of clinical trials but ultimately didn't work for humans is there opportunities to take those data that data and learnings and apply those to veterinary medicine i think the answer is yes and in a lot of ways i think that ultimately helps accelerate our understanding of our own human medical conditions and everything from the clinical you know, signs and symptoms associated with them all the way to you know, personalized treatments. And there are companies that are now looking at that. Even when you look at how drugs are produced today, how clinical trials operate, there is animal components in that. And so can we, as opposed to you know, using rats or mice, inducing some of these illnesses, can we look at you know, companion animals as spontaneous models of, of disease? By that, I mean like 
using data that we have from cats and dogs and other species that are already getting these illnesses as part of getting old and using our learnings from that to help accelerate human medical drug development and, and the evolution of our thinking on, on those fronts. So I do think that there's all these areas where there is a tight-knit relationship between human and animal health and the data that we have access to can ultimately help accelerate our understanding of both. Yeah, I, I had no idea so much of understanding that animal health can really provide that kind of insight into human health. It's hopeful to know that that data can be collected and they can definitely impact each other. My last question as we wrap up here is tell me about LifeLearn or what you're working on right now that you're excited about. Yeah, for sure. So um, maybe for some context, that IBM Watson project, I ended up leaving LifeLearn in, in the summer of 2015 to pursue some consulting opportunities and ultimately a startup of my own. So I'm the co-founder of a company called Future Pet. And what we're developing is a, a model of veterinary care that we think can make caring for your pet a lot less stressful and ultimately more affordable as well. And so kind of building off what I shared earlier, where all these technologies are coming at veterinary practices, it's really difficult for the for practices to incorporate those new technologies in an effective way. And so what we've developed is a membership model of care. So it's a $10 a month and it provides owners with access to sort of digital veterinary services, 24 seven support of, uh, from vets, um, the ability to manage your pet's prescriptions and do refills and reordering, manage your pet's information of access to their medical record, that digital experience you sort of want and desire, but also the ability to go in and see the vets that you know and trust in your local community. And we do that through visit reimbursement. So to be more specific, owners can go to any vet that they want, they take a picture of their invoice or receipt, and we reimburse a portion of the cost of that visit. So in some ways, it's this new membership model that we think can help upgrade the veterinary experience for any clinic, regardless of their sophistication, but at the same time, I think really optimize and facilitate a meaningful relationship with the vets that people know, the, the real vets, the real facilities that I think are a really integral part of the, of the future of the profession. So our company is kind of about bridging those together for pet owners in an affordable subscription package. That sounds like really that's that next step as far as you said, that future between the relationship of the veterinarian and the pet owner and really that connected pet seems like that's establishing that. Now, if people want to learn more about Future Pet, where do they go? Yeah, so we actually launched this under a brand of ours called GoFetch Health. So it's health.gofetch.ca. We'll bring you to to our website and, and share uh, what we're what we're doing there, and hopefully some of the pet owners in, in the audience of the pet parents, you know, check it out. Yeah, definitely. Well, I, I can't thank you enough, uh, Doctor Little, for spending some time with us today. It's really inspiring to hear what you're doing and what you believe the future of the veterinarian role can be, as well as animal health and really even the role of the pet owner. So it's really exciting to hear all of the things that you're working on, and we wish you the best of luck. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. We could probably do a whole other episode discussing the ideas that Dr. Little shared today. You might be looking at your pets a little bit different. Maybe wondering how long it will be before your pet is just as digitally connected as you are and how advancing technology might impact the amount of time you have with your pet. Or if you don't have pets, Maybe you're thinking about the incredible role a veterinarian could play in helping address global challenges related to food supply, human medicine, or the spread of disease. Personally, one of the moments that I'll continue to think about was when Dr. Little commented on 
how if a five-year-old today fulfills their dream to grow up and be a veterinarian, they're likely to be entering a profession that is drastically different than when they were five. And that one of the key skills that will benefit the future veterinarian is an entrepreneurial mindset. And how it's not just veterinary medicine experience and transformation of skills, it's many industries. We wish Dr. Little all the best on his efforts on the global transformation of veterinary medicine. You can follow him on Twitter at ExponentialVet or check out GoFetch Health at health.gofetch.ca. Hopefully, today's episode will have you thinking differently about the health of your pet. Or maybe you're considering becoming a new pet owner. Whatever your situation, pets and humans share this planet together. So when it comes to improving the health of all living things, what will you do? Next time, we move from animal and human health to the health and future of our planet when we catch up with the ever-elusive and adventurous host of Angry Planet, George Karunas. Thanks for joining the FutureX podcast powered by Future Design School. I'm Quinn Henderson, and I can't wait to hear what you will do to shape our future.